This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. Where is Willard Scott when you need him? We are turning 99. This is episode 99 of the Scoop Podcast. We'll start with Alan Anderson, Minneapolis native and NBA free agent. I know he would love to play for the Wolves. He worked out for the Wolves recently. We'll get to Alan in just a second, but some love for Vine Park Brewing online, vinepark.com. Such good beer. They've been around since 1995. You're not around for 22 years without a good product. They have good beer. They have good wine. They have root beer if you're into the non-alcoholic beverage. Vine Park Brewing is in St. Paul on West 7th Street between 35E and downtown St. Paul, closer to 35E right now for 7 bucks. Go in there, see how they brew their beer, make their wines, all that good stuff, make their root beer. Then with that 7 bucks, you get a tour. You get to learn all about how they make their great products. You can introduce yourself to owner Andy. Andy is a great guy. So you'll learn all about how to make beer, how to make wine, how to make root beer. Then you get a flight or a pint plus Hagee's Pizza, all for $7. $7 gets you the tour, a flight or a pint, and Hagee's Pizza. For more information, go to vinepark.com. Here is Alan Anderson. Alan, thank you for your time. I hope all is well in your world. You're about to turn 35. As you know, it's not like I'm breaking news. 35 in basketball years is is relatively old. It's pretty old. But in your mind, the way you've been training these last, you know, handful of weeks, handful of months, do you still feel like you can play at a at a high level, not only this year, but for a few more years? Yeah, no question, man. I mean I always I mean, take care of my body, so me being thirty turning thirty five is really not a problem. Uh a twenty three year old, you know what I mean? So uh, it depends who you ask for sure. Uh, of course, it's, you know, 35 for the NBA age is a little bit older than, you know, a lot nowadays. But I still play with the younger guys every day. So I feel good. I feel the best that I've felt uh, since my surgery. And uh, uh, like I said, I can only control what I can control. Uh, and that's, you know, working hard every day, making sure my body is right, taking care of my body uh, and, you know, and the right foods and drinks that I need to have in it to, to make sure it's, it's, uh, it's, it's ready to go. What, Alan, is a normal day for you? What does it look like? I mean, you're in Vegas right now. Are you training morning, afternoon, and night? Yeah, is it just I, morning? My, How do you maintain that? It starts at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. I go to uh, like a uh, ankle and hip and all this strength and agilities and things like that for hours and change. And then I go to my strength coach and we do a – another hour workout before I get on the court to do an individual workout. And after the strength in the weight room, I do an hour, some change on the individual workouts. And after that, we play five on five. And uh, I do that at least four times a week. Um, and I'm fine. Uh, I, I'm feeling, like I said, I'm feeling the best that I've felt in a long time, man. And, you know, it feels good to, to be able to still, you know, uh, not have to wear any braces, you know what I mean? And be able to be out there free at my age uh, and still not looking my age. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I mean, you're talking about the, the two ankle surgeries, right? Was that 2015, the two ankle surgeries on your left ankle? Yeah, yeah. Started uh, yeah, my last year in Brooklyn, yeah. So, I mean, okay, so you're saying since that second surgery, the last of the two surgeries, that right now you feel the best you've felt since, since the surgery, right? No question. It's not. It's night and day. Definitely 100, 1,000. 
Good better. Now, did you feel a little off last year with the Clippers? I mean, was it still oh, fighting you? Were you battling the ankle last year with L.A.? <laughs> It's crazy you asked that. Uh, with the Clippers, that's why I went to them because I was feeling I was feeling real good. This was coming off uh, what my first year off of the angle surgery, and this is my second year with the Clippers. I went there and took a less, you know, thinking I can help and I'll be able to play. And you know, for whatever reason, I just didn't get an opportunity. But uh, even then, even though I didn't get you know get a lot of minutes, I worked out every single day, all days, uh, four days. Uh, I mean, I just made sure I'm always ready. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. So I was. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't my. It wasn't. It wasn't because of my ankle squad reason I didn't play last year. It was, it was uh, higher than me. So let me ask you this, Alan. How much? How much of a battler are you? How much of a fighter are you? When you think about your journey, I mean, high profile coming out of De La Salle High School. You play well for Tom Izzo in East Lansing with the Spartans, but then you go undrafted. You go overseas. You played in where? Italy. Israel, you would know all the countries Italy, better than me. Croatia, Moscow, Barcelona, Maccabi Tel Aviv, China. Uh, and, I mean, I'm a battler. I'm a fighter. Uh, I don't know too many guys that can start in the NBA, go four or five years overseas, come back in the NBA, do another six, seven years, you know what I mean, and still be successful and still, you know, be able to play. You know what I mean? And, you know, all that did was just made me that much more mature. Um, it made me know that or, I mean, I played in all around the world, in every type of basketball, every type of situation you can imagine, been in every single atmosphere you couldn't imagine. And it just did nothing but made me more hungry and stronger. And with my heart on my sleeve, man, and that's how I've always been. That's how I always been. I'm just thinking about, Alan, there's not many guys that go undrafted and are able to still be playing as they're turning 35 years old, have you thought about just how amazing your journey has been? Honestly, I haven't. I haven't just sat and thought about it because it's you know I'm still dreaming, man. I I I, I still like I said I train because <laughs> I want to win. I want to win something. I want to. I want to have a ring. I want to have some hard on. I want to have something to show. You know what I mean? So I train as if I'm still 25. You know what I mean? Of course, I you know take take days off. You know because my body's a little older, but as far as my work ethic and everything, it never stops. You know what I mean? And, and my journey creates my drive even more. You know what I mean? Because I've seen the other side of the world and how 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 hard it can be. You know what I mean? Getting out of the NBA and back into the NBA. So it's a very humbling experience. And a, it was tough, but it just made me tougher. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Okay, we talked about this at your basketball camp at De La Salle, but that was – whenever that was, four, five, even six weeks ago. The narrative has changed since then. You've worked out for the Wolves. One can make yeah. a case the Wolves still need a wing. How much have you thought about the possibility of playing for your hometown Minnesota Timberwolves? Man, that's why I came to work out for them, so they can see that I'm healthy and I still can play. Uh, but it would mean so much, man. I mean, that's why I was born and raised, man. I've, I've, I was raised watching Pooh Richardson, Doug West, uh, you know, late great Malik Sealy, KGs, the Terrell Brandons, you know what I mean? So for me to come home and represent Minneapolis and Minnesota as a whole, I mean, I don't think anybody from Minneapolis has come and played back home. You know what I mean? We got a couple guys for the Timberwolves now that are from Minnesota, but actually from the inner city, you know what I mean? That'd be big. 
for not only just me, but for kids, the younger kids growing up to be able to reach out, touch, and see that I've been where you went before, you know, in those inner city schools and, and, and been overseas and been in the NBA on different teams. And all of a sudden I come back home and, you know, home is where the heart is. And for a player like me, all I, all I bring is my heart, you know what I mean? And not only just to be on the team, but just to be able with my age and help and give my wisdom on and off the court. I, I mean, I would love to be at home, man. It was the icing on the cake, you know what I mean? What neighborhood, Allen, did you grow up in, and how did you end up at De La Salle? Were you only at De La Salle the final couple years of high school? Yeah, uh, I grew up on 35th and no, 31st and 1st. When I was younger, and then we was around around six or seven years old, we moved out to 62nd and Nicollet, like it's like the border right before Ridgefield. Okay, sure. And, yeah, and I uh, like I started off at uh, Burroughs Elementary, went to uh, after that went to Anthony Junior High School, and then from there, I didn't really know what high school I wanted to go to, but during eighth grade, I was playing you know varsity and junior varsity at Roosevelt, and my brother had went there. And I didn't really want to go to Roosevelt just because I just wanted to pay my own pay my own way because of my older brother. Uh, so that's why I went to Edison. I went to Edison, played really well. Um, started having more dreams about where I wanted to go. And uh, my mom just felt like education-wise I wasn't getting everything that I needed, especially to get ready for college. So she transferred me out of Edison, and I went to De La Salle, and it took off from there. Um that's where I, you know, start. I start thinking about, you know, uh, college and, you know, NBA and, you know, other dreams and stuff as a kid that I was like, man, these are reachable. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, that's when it started happening at De La Salle, really. And mom and brother are still here in the Twin Cities. So you're in Vegas, but they're here in the Twin yeah, yeah, Cities. Yeah, I'm in Vegas. My mom and brother, they live in Apple Valley. Okay. Have you thought about setting up roots here? I mean, coming back here and establishing your life, whether it's, you know, hopefully it's now with the Wolves at some point, but, yeah. you know, when you're when you're done playing or it's Vegas now, home base? No, I, definitely. I mean, Minneapolis is my home, man. So that's why I started, you know, this past summer, just get a camp just so I can start doing more with the younger kids. You know what I mean? So definitely wanted to start doing something there because it's only right for me to, you know, when you come from some, somewhere where you've been, only right for you to give back because that's the only that's the only thing the kids remember and they know as they grow up and then it's a cycle and then they keep you keep doing it then it could get bigger and more people can join in and this is how we make a way for them you know what i mean and i didn't have that when i was younger tell us more alan about your wolves workout i know they had a bunch of free agents in you know like isaiah cannon trey burke i mean who did you play against how did it go uh it went really well i mean uh it was um a lot of other players in there, a lot of their, their players that are already on contract, the newer players like Jamal Crawford and Jimmy Butler were there. Uh, but I thought I did really well. Uh, they brought me in to see how my ankle looked, uh, and it looked great. I performed the whole time, did everything they asked. Uh, and I thought it went well, and my feedback that I got, it went really well. So uh, that's all I can do now, you know what I mean? Just sit here and wait and keep working out. Um and uh, just wait. We, we're having conversations, but, you know, nothing is really valid yet. So they threw you right into the fire. I mean, you got out there and you scrimmaged against Jamal, Jimmy, and, and some other current wolves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, I mean, 
Tibbs and others were just sitting there watching and, and they were taking notes, observing how you were playing? Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah, uh, they, uh, we had a, you know, a few other coaches in there and going through, you know, different drills here and there, uh, shooting drills, defense, defensive drills, things of that nature, just to, you know, get guys familiar on what type of um, uh, system uh, Minnesota's um, going to run. So, I mean, it went really well, man, knocking down uh, open shots, uh, defending, talking. I mean, I thought we had a good time. Is there any disappointment, Alan, that they haven't made you an offer yet? They reach out. I mean, did they reach out the first day of free agency just to say, hey, we have some interest. They bring you in for the workout. Is there any disappointment that they haven't extended you an offer yet? Is, is it disappointment if they don't? Well, that they haven't so far, and who knows? Maybe they don't uh, ultimately. Is there disappointment I, like, there? It's, it's, I, want, I don't know if the right word is disappointing, but it's a business. You know what I mean? I understand they got to do what's best for their team. And I got to do the best for me also. Um, and that's all I like I said. That's all I really can't control. As long as I know I'm healthy and I'm how, what type of work ethic I put into, you know, this game every single day, that's all I really can, you know, control. Anything else is really out of my control. I would love to be there. Um, that's why I came there to show them I am healthy. But like I said, anywhere I would go, I'm very happy and grateful to be there. But I would love to be at home. I'll leave you after this. Have you asked Jamal Crawford? I mean, you play with Jamal in L.A. I've had Jamal yeah. on, on this podcast a number of times. He speaks the world of you. Have you talked to Jamal to say, hey, Jamal, can you put a good, good word in with, with Tibbs, you know, for me? Uh, I haven't spoken to Jamal to tell him that, but like I said, me and Jamal, we've been playing against each other so many years. We played each other, played it with each other last year with the Clippers, and Jamal sees me every day also. He knows how much I work. He knows how healthy I am, but – then again, Jamal ain't writing the contract. You know what I mean? So it's uh, it's uh, it's good that you know, I, 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 man, for God, Jamal to talk praises for me—that's that's huge. So I, I definitely appreciate that. I'll leave you with this, Alan. Is there a sense if it's not Minnesota that as all these teams start training camp, you know, again? I'll leave you with this: as as all these teams start training camp, whether it's uh -huh. Minnesota or not, maybe it's not Minnesota, but whether it's a New York or a Brooklyn or a Toronto well, or some other team, do you have a sense that that you'll be in some team's training camp sooner rather than later? Uh, honestly, I don't. Anything is possible, man. So I really, like I said, I really don't even know because I've been having a lot of conversations with teams. Uh, but you know, the conversation is conversation. Conversation is only conversation if nobody's pulling the trigger. So I really don't even know. I'm sure I'm going to be in some training camp. I don't know where. I would hope it would be Minnesota's. Uh, if not, wherever it is, I would definitely be ready. Have you worked out for any other teams? No. This is the first time I've. This is the first time in my whole career that I haven't been signed in September. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. So I mean, it has to be a, a weird feeling, right? I mean. You said what? It has to be a weird feeling in some ways. It's different. It's different. But when you've been, like you said, my journey, you've seen it all, man. So it don't surprise me at all. You know what I mean? I can't. Like I said, the only thing I can do is keep busting my ass and work as hard as I can to make sure I know that I'm ready. That's the only thing I can do. Alan, a lot of people here in the Twin Cities are rooting for you. We wish you nothing but the best. 
I appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot. From Alan Anderson, we turn our attention to Twins GM Thad Levine. He is a regular on the Scoop podcast as long as the Twins are playing. Thad, as we sit here and talk on Tuesday afternoon, I know we talked to Twins Fest many other times when you came aboard that this wasn't another 100-loss team. But truly, in your wildest dreams, and who knows how wild those dreams are, but in your wildest dreams, did you think that you would be on your way to Cleveland with you know, a playoff spot on the cusp of happening? I mean, it could happen as soon as Tuesday night. Did you think it was really possible? You know, I think anytime, anytime you're working with a franchise that has not been in the playoffs in recent time and transitioning to a, to a team that's hopefully opening a window to a, a playoff run of many years, the, fir- the first time is always that some stars need to align. Uh, I think there's occasions where you kind of come out of nowhere and really seize the opportunity and are a little bit ahead of schedule uh, from a sheer talent standpoint. But I think uh, the 2017 season has been a really fun roller coaster ride filled with uh, some unexpected ups and downs throughout the process, but hopefully one that's been pretty scintillating to the fans. I certainly know it has been to our roster. I mean, the craziest roller coaster ride of them all is, okay, before the trade deadline, you guys are 50 and 53, a minus 72 run differential. After the trade deadline, 30 and 21, with a plus 84 run differential. It's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. It, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, you know, there, there's a, we've all been around the game, fans working the sport and otherwise for, for so long, and the things that have transpired this season have been pretty significant. You know, to go from 103 losses to, to however many wins we will nearly this year, in and of itself, is a great story. So later on top of that, the turnaround midseason that you just referenced, uh, the demonstrative turnaround, and you know, who would have thought watching your team play for the first two months that it would be the most prolific offense for a prolonged period of time, which is exactly what it's been. Who would have guessed that despite the, the full party trade by the front office of Brandon Kinsler, that somehow the, the bullpen would shore up and, and um, Matt Belisle and Trevor Holdenberger and Alan Boosnitz and Presley and Duffy and Rogers and these guys would would cover up the mistakes that potentially the front office made. It's just it's been it's been a great there have been so many subplots to the season, but the biggest storyline is that here we are with, with six games to play with a magic number of two and controlling our own destiny to play in the playoffs. I mean a little bit more on the offense. I mean you might know the number better than me. I don't know the top of my head. I have to imagine though it's a lot. I mean the amount of times that you guys have gotten to double digits in these games without Miguel Sano, like your best offensive threat is out of lineup, yet you're scoring 10-plus runs pretty regularly. When I saw the statistics flashed on our screen the other night during our game in Detroit that we now meet the major leagues in innings of five runs or more, okay. I just don't think people think of the Minnesota Twins when you when you think of that statistic. Uh, you know, embedded in that is, you know, the starts that Byron Buxton and then middle that Jorge Polanco had, and now they're hitting third and fifth for us mm-hmm. regularly, and they've earned it, and they deserve it, and they're contributing. The stories are up and down this roster of special things occurring. And as you said, it's against the backdrop of our most prolific offensive player that we've been on the sidelines for what will amount to the last 40 games of the season. All right, you're on your way to Cleveland. Was that always the plan, or did plans change that you have to be in Cleveland for the for the celebration? I, I heard there was a farmer's market that was not to be missed this weekend, <laughs> and so I wanted to get there early. I. You know, Derek is with the club now, uh, but these are trips that you want to be supportive of the club, you know, regardless of the outcome this late in the season. And so 
uh, not only myself and Derek, but a few other guys from our front office are going to join us uh, to support the club to the extent that we can offer that uh, with so much at stake and with only six games left. Another part of the craziness is that all these other teams have curled up in the fetal position. How shocked are you? I mean, you know the Rangers as well as anybody. The Angels, I mean, go up and down the list. The Royals, the Rays, all these teams, the Mariners, I thought somebody might jump up. All these teams haven't been playing good baseball. Well, I, I think that that's part of sometimes what's embedded behind the scenes of the magical season. It's kind of what happens around you. you know, we, always, we always talk about let's control what we can control, and that's, that's tonight's game. Uh, and we don't really have any control over those other things, but as you just pointed out, uh, there have been some very fortuitous outcomes based upon the things that we don't control. And still, at the end of the day, we've got to cross the finish line. No one could get for that for us. Uh, but we've been fortunate that some teams that had very high goals for this year, you mentioned the Texas Rangers, Toronto Blue Jays, Kansas City Royals, Seattle Mirrors, and otherwise, are all fighting to uh, to catch us at this juncture uh, and have not been able to make up a lot of ground. But there's still six games left to be played, so you, you never know what may happen. Those teams are all more than talented enough to have a burst towards the finish line, and I expect a lot of uh, you know, some harrowing moments you get left in the last six games of the season. All right, but let's go on the premise that next Tuesday, we may not talk before next Tuesday, so next Tuesday you are playing the Yankees in the one-game playoff. Do you like the goofiness of these rules where you just you set a roster for the one game? Like, you'll probably have, what, nine or ten pitchers, but if you had to set it for, let's say, that game, then that would be the roster that you use in the divisional series. You'd have to go 12 pitchers, presumably. I mean, it's just it's kind of wacky the way that you set the roster for just one game. Well, I think in general, I look at the Major League Baseball season juxtaposing on the postseason, it seems to me to be the most different than any other major sport in terms of how you strategize, how you manipulate your roster, and how you utilize your roster. Uh, you know, to me, it would be the equivalent of like you, you, we will start with our best starting pitcher, but if six to eight batters in, we don't feel he has it, we'll make a change. It, to me, it's like the equivalent of if the Patriots are struggling at the outset in the first quarter, they don't go to the wishbone offense. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not something like something dramatic happens. We do that in baseball, and it's it never more accentuated than in the context in which you were speaking in the format of a one-game playoff where, you know, we go the whole season carrying somewhere between 12 and 13 pitchers, and as you pointed out, uh, maybe the only time you carry fewer than fewer than 12, and it, and it could be as few as nine. You may only carry one or two starting pitchers, and you are allowed to carry a lot of specialists on the bench, whether it's only pitchers or position players and, you know, the intensive, maybe you don't use too many of them, but you'll have them there at your disposal. And then, especially in our context, if we're playing on the road and then you go to another road series, you may have almost another group of people who are just sitting, waiting there to get on the plane, who will be active the very next day to start a division series. So it's an exciting time. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a tumultuous time, but one that we're very honored and blessed to be part of. How active are those discussions, Thad, I mean, among you guys in the front office with the coaching staff to set that roster for next Tuesday? Then to also think about a divisional series if you advance past the Yankees. Well, the reality is we, we, we don't have the good fortune that some of the teams in American League have had, which is that they've probably been having those conversations for four to six weeks at this juncture, but that's where the trajectory was taking them. We're still fighting to the for what tonight brings, which is a competition and an opportunity to get one step closer to realizing a dream. So, we probably haven't had quite as extensive conversations as some of the other teams that we're contending with in the American League. But those types of conversations now are heating up. I mean, you, you, you kind of rail against the, the prospect of changing.
chasing your team by having those conversations, but clearly at this stage, uh, we're, we're less than a week away from that wild card game. Or we're, we're exactly a week away. We, we need to start having active dialogue. If I had told you in March that Eduardo Escobar would be at 20 home runs, would you have thought I was half insane, fully insane? I mean, unbelievable run for Eduardo Escobar. You know, I, I think, to answer your question, I, there are a lot of people here who have a very high opinion of him uh, and have spoken very openly about what he's done in similar opportunities now, certainly not to this uh, level. But, you know, being around Eduardo Escobar, I think he carries himself in, as if he's an everyday player. Uh, and I think he's a guy who we're blessed to have, uh, no different from Robbie Grossman earlier in the year. When your fourth outfielder is the quality of Robbie Grossman, when your extra infielder is the quality of Eduardo Escobar, you're in a very fortuitous position. And nobody wants to lose somebody the magnitude of, of uh, Miguel Sano. But in practice, what Eduardo Escobar has done in his absence has made that, that absence a little bit more palatable because he is... He stepped in and uh, he performed extremely well defensively, which has been a little bit masked by the fact that every third or fourth game he seems to be getting a, uh, a ball that moves the yard or at least is finding a gap and driving a significant run. So I couldn't be happier for him. He works his butt off, and as you know from covering this team, he may be the most universally well-liked player on the entire team. He bridges all sorts of relational gaps that there are in the major clubhouse. And so everyone in that club is rooting for this guy. And, and boy, is he rewarded them. I mean, I love any guy that, you know, volunteers to milk a cow in Anaheim, right? I mean, nobody wants to step up. He's the one who says, hey, absolutely, I'll milk that cow. Can we, Thad, at this point, can we officially declare Miguel Sano out for the season? You know, we're, we are still in the process of getting additional medical information. I, I think with, with six games left to be played, uh, it's going to be really challenging for him to step in and assume a prominent role. But the... Uh, as you and I talked before, the severe threat of him is significant enough that we're going to hold out hope that we may be able to get him back in some context. So, so no definitive statement on that front, but I, but I respect the fact that he's left off in the thick of this country. I got into two more points with Thad Levine, but he was on his Bluetooth. He's getting to the airport, flying to Cleveland. So it started to break up. One point I got to him with was the series next April in San Juan, Puerto Rico against the Indians. I mean, Puerto Rico is is devastated. He said they are on standby. No decisions have been made. But to think that they'll play baseball at that stadium with the way the country is now next April certainly seems like a long shot. But Thad did say no definitive decisions have been made but they are being kept abreast of what is going on in Puerto Rico. He wishes all the people of Puerto Rico nothing but the best. And then I finished with that about Peg Imhoff, who passed away recently. She was pretty much the mother of the press box. I got to know Peg over the course of a number of years, having worked in media here in the Twin Cities for 20 years, so going back to the Metrodome. She was always there to greet you. I mean, the best way to say it is she always put a smile on your face. There was this genuineness about Peg. She always wanted to know what was going on in your life, your family's life. She got to know my older son, Droogy, pretty well, just having him come through the press box on a number of occasions. She always asked Droogy about what was going on in his life, you know, and she always cared. I'm just telling you. I mean, some people, you figure it's lip service. You know, there's a fakeness about some people, not in the case of Peg. There was this just warmth feeling that she always exuded this genuineness about her 
that was as good as it gets. She will be dearly missed. So I finished with Thad about Peg's memorial service, which was at Target Field on Monday. Unfortunately, with my schedule, I could not make it. I know Joe Schmidt, my colleague, was able to make it. I know Ken Herbeck was there. Thad Levine was there. So I wanted to ask Thad. I did, in fact, but just his phone was breaking up about what Peg meant to him, even though he only knew her over the course of a number of months. You know, not years like many of us, but he said, hey, you know, she did. She put a smile on everybody's face. She will be dearly, dearly missed, but never forgotten. So those were the two points I finished with with Thad. Again, I made the edit after the Miguel Sano question. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Touch em All podcast. I do think that if you're going to be pessimistic about this year and you're going to be disappointed, I understand that. I, In fact, I, I empathize with that. But the nice thing for the Twins is no matter what happens the rest of the way, mm-hmm. A, you're, you've challenged your front office now to be extra motivated to improve the club this winter, which they weren't challenged to do last year, I might add. And once you do have that sort of precedent of, oh, we got a good team. Now we got to add to it. We're going to the postseason. That's an encouraging thing. And you've got the young players that are still cost-controlled. You can afford to go out and spend some money. You've got a core of a team in place here that should be competitive for the next four or five years at least. And I think if you're looking for a silver lining, like that's at least one thing to hang your hat on if you're a Twins fan. That's all gravy. Just have fun with it, Wetmore. You can find the Touch em All podcast on 1500ESPN.com's podcast page or on iTunes. We transition from Thad Levine to former Gopher Tyrone Carter, former Viking, former Pittsburgh Steeler. He made up this week with Gophers coach P.J. Flack, so we'll ask him about that. A couple other talking points we can catch up with Tyrone on. But first, some love for Camp Zero Coolers. They help keep the Scoop podcast going. Use the promo code SCOOP, promo code SCOOP, for $10 off your order. They have coolers right now in white and beige if you're tailgating whatever the reason if you need a cooler this is the place to go the website camp-zero.com again camp-zero.com why can't reliable cool looking products also be affordable well the owners of camp zero asked that very question they're brothers they're business partners they've traveled all over the world over the last 30 years developing and sourcing products to make outdoor living easier Their philosophy is simple. You offer ruggedly cool outdoor products that are affordable and, more importantly, designed to withstand the rigors of the outdoors. Whether you are headed to camp, hunt, fish, tailgate. I saw some pictures on Twitter the other day. They were at the Bears-Steelers game tailgating in one of the parking lots around Soldier Field. It was perfect for Sunday morning tailgating. Or you're just attending a family picnic. Camp Zero branded products will always have your back. They believe it's time for an affordable, quality product that you can count on. Are you ready for the next ruggedly cool adventure? If you are, check out Camp Zero Coolers again, the website, camp-zero.com. All right, here is Tyrone Carter. Tyrone, always good to catch up. I figured it was a good time to catch up, especially after your tweet earlier in the week, you and PJ Flex Office. Take us through, you don't need to give specifics, but was there some sort of falling out with PJ? And obviously, based on your on your tweet, the photo with PJ is all well now with, with your relationship with PJ Fleck. Well, what I, uh, it was, it was um, uh, to me, mi- miscommunication. Uh, I, I feel, as a man, you know, as I met him when he got up here, as I always do, introduce myself to every coach that ever told me to the University of Minnesota ever since I left there. Mm-hmm. And to meet with him and let him know that, listen, I, I understand 
first off, what you're coming into. And I want you to understand that I've always been a part of this program. I love my program. If you need me in any way, I'm here. If you need me to talk to the kids, I'm there. I'm just letting you know about me. And if you don't know, you know, I played here, and I believe maroon and gold. You know, I'm part of something that a 25-year drought that Coach Mason came apart, and I want to be a part of something special. And every coach that comes in here, they talk a lot, but who's willing to put in that hard work and make sure these kids are maximizing their full potential on and off the football field? Not looking at these kids as a, uh, a number, a statistic, or just trying to win games. You know, we're supposed to be developing these young men like my coaches did for me, made me become the man I am today because he cared for me, seen something in me, want me to maximize my full potentials on and off the football field. So I want him to know that. So when it came about where, you know, him and my – we recruited my nephew and, you know, hey, I, I would love for my nephew to be up here at, uh, close to me. You know, he's been wanting to be a golden gopher ever since he's seen it, ever since he's seen me playing. He wanted to be a DB. So it has been great. But I wanted to let him know he's not recruiting me to recruit him. So you guys do what you need to do to do what you uh, to recruit him and let him feel comfortable of coming up here. Because, see, I'm going to make sure if he was to come up here, y'all, y'all make sure y'all helping him maximize his full potential. And if something goes wrong, I, I'm going to make sure, it, you know, if, you, if I don't know nothing about it, that's, that's, that's crazy. So especially with my family. So I'm all about family. So I want him mm-hmm. to know that. And – once that situation got violated to me, I, I, I felt as a man, you know, I went about it the wrong way by posting it on social media as a man. And I owe to him, that's why I reached out to him. I owe to him an apology for posting him that way so that we met man to man. I should have met man to man with him and had that conversation of my displeasure, what I knew what went down, what I heard from my family. So, uh, I met with him. He took the he took he took the uh, visit. Me and him sat there. We talked. We talked as man and man. I, I I had a lot of respect for him because he didn't have to take that meeting. Agreed. He didn't have yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. He could he could have stayed busy. Could did whatever. That let me know one thing. He cared about what went down, and he wanted to solve it. So both of us got together. We solved it. And man, uh, I respect him. That's why I posted what I post. I can't support nobody if I'm not – I don't believe he's real to me. So I couldn't support it. I couldn't continue to go on that without me talking to this guy. Like I talked to him face-to-face when he first got there. I talked to him face-to-face before my nephew come and visit me every summer. So just like, I, just like my nephew went to Wisconsin, it's his life. It's not my life. All I'm doing is constructing it, making sure he's around the right people, not trying to just look at him as a football player. So – with that being said, that's my approach, what I was telling him in any group. But at the end of the day, he accepted it. We, we put it away. We came to agreement. We, 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 we understand each other. We both after the same thing, trying to bring a national championship, a Big Ten championship at the University of Minnesota, and trying to be something special. So getting out that meeting right there and leaving with, with, with him, I totally respect this young man. I thoroughly respect his, his energy and his desire. All I'm doing is let him know that I'm holding him accountable too. You know, I'm, I want to make sure he's doing that. That's all. That's all I ask. You know, what I mean, make sure these kids that's coming here, we we doing that. You know, Minnesota they have 17, 14, 500 companies here. Everybody can't make the NFL. 
But what we can do is, as a recruit, what we're supposed to be doing is when we're going into these families' houses, we're supposed to let these families know that when your, con- your son come to us, he's going to he's gonna come away with being a better young man and he's going to have a job with a degree that he got that he's going to be able to continue to maximize his full potential outside and enjoy our lives, not messing up his life after football is over. So once we got around understanding, man, I respect him and, Man, listen, I, I, I love what he's doing. I want to I want to continue to see him continue to do that. You know, he changed the program around at, at West Michigan. Hey, it's University of Minnesota. Hey, we had nine wins last year. You know, Coach Kill did an unbelievable job for where he came at, what he had to come into. Bofunk came in a, in, a, in a crazy situation at the University of Minnesota. It was The school was broken down. Mm-hmm. Coach Kill did an unbelievable job of getting these kids in order, getting these kids uh, education, getting these kids graduate. And GPA is up. So I respect that Coach Kill at the utmost, you know. And when he said changing coaches, I had to let him know I didn't, I, I didn't like that neither. You know, you, can, you can't say you're changing coaches when you come upon something that the guy done, when he got the job, it was terrible. And what he did for the University of Minnesota, man, you can't, you can't knock that. And that's family, and I want him to know that. So we came away with our understanding, man, and I, I respect him. So I'm looking for him to continue to push push us to what he's talking about. That, that, that was it. And let him know that anything he needs, I'm here. You know, if I need to talk to these young men and let these young men know, you know, about making sure they're making the right decision each and every day. I know NCAA has so many rules, but at the end of the day, we're family. we all family. That's all I want him to understand. And you, he understood that. Tyron, you make a very interesting point about you know, changing the culture, all the culture talk. And there's something to be said about that to a degree with PJ. But yeah, I mean, the word is that whether it's Jerry, people that used to work under Jerry, the previous regime, they don't appreciate that. What was the dialogue like between you and PJ when you brought that up, that that he continues to talk about needing to change the culture, that really the culture change really, really took place when Jerry Kill took over for Tim Brewster. That was the big culture change that that clearly some changes need to take place right now, especially coming off the year with Tracy Clays when Jerry Kill wasn't around. But it's not like maybe culture is the wrong word or change is the wrong word, but it's not completely it's, broken. It, it, it was it, broken. It's not broken right now. Right, right. But at the end of the day, that's why we came to an understanding this. you got to understand what another guy is thinking when he's saying those words. When you say a word, it, it could mean so many things to different people. You understand? Depending on your, your culture. So after I got an understanding of it, and he did a great job. It's a okay, coach, good. It's a culture for him. Mm-hmm. It's what, his, what he thinks. Every coach that comes in here want to be better than the next guy. So I, I understand what he means. You know, when he, when he broke it down to me, I got an understanding of what he was, what he was talking about. It wouldn't mean in no disrespectful way, but it was meant to let him know, hey, man, he, he's trying to do something different, too. And the words could be different. He could have used a different tone of word, but that's what I always tell anybody when you're trying to understand why a person did something or why they, why they continue to make the behavior the way it are, you got to understand what he sees and what he's thinking. And when you put yourself on his thinking, then you understand it ain't disrespectful. So I, 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 I appreciate him taking the time to give me the understanding of it. That's why I was able to move forward with him. I could understand what he was talking about. He didn't mean no disrespect by it. He was... He was, he was actually been helped by Coach Hill. Coach Hill, he worked on the Coach Hill. Mm-hmm. Coach Hill gave him opportunity. So, for me, that's why everybody else that looked at it, I look, that's family to me. You cannot do that to a family member, you know. But once you got the understanding of how his approach was, 
that's his culture, man. That's his culture. And what he explained to me, hey, I, I tip my hands off to him. I hold him up to it. Let's do it. But at the, at the end of the day, you got to watch what you say. You make sure you're not, not disrespecting nobody. And that's why him and Coach Kiel probably got to have a conversation just like me and he did. Man to man, you know. Uh, that's what he's learning. He's still young. The man is 36 years old. I'm 41 years old. He was a wide receiver. I'm with DB. Our mindset is a little totally different. We're competitive. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see that, you know. So all I'm saying is, hey, I'm I'm not gonna hold I'm not gonna hold nothing against him. I'm gonna be right beside him like every coach come up here and want to change the culture or change taking us to another dimension. I, I I always say take us to another level. Well, I mean, here's where take I'll us get to another level. Yeah, and he and he can. I mean, I think he needs a couple years to get all his own players in here. But there's no doubt in my mind he's got a chance to take this program to a level that it hasn't been in a really long time. But here's where I'll credit PJ. The fact that he was receptive, you reach out to him. He says, yeah, come to my office, let's talk. Many coaches would have said, no, I don't know about that. Also, that he's a good communicator. It sounds like he laid out what he means by changing the culture that you feel satisfied with everything that he told you. That, to me, says that PJ deserves a lot of credit for that. Exactly. Hey, I commend him, man. And that's why I post it. Because one thing, any coach, any coach, any player, any teammate of mine, they understand. They know me. They know me. Family is everything. No matter what. We come from all different places. But we all going to have a disagreement, but we still family. Something can't change. So when he, when he elaborates to me, I respect him the utmost man. And now, guess what? He's part of the family now. We done hired him. He's there. We got to do everything we can to make sure he has everything he needs and hold him accountable. That's it. Just like we hold these kids accountable, when they get here, we hold the whole coaches accountable, administration accountable. That's all that is. That's all I'm trying to allow him to understand and see what his mindset is. And, man, I can, I can support him then. I can, I can, I can, I can truly support him. Was all it, we have is our word. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no denying that, Tyrone. Was it hard on your end? to swallow your pride for you to reach out to PJ to say, hey, it's time for us to have a man-to-man conversation? It wasn't hard on my end because at the end of the day, man, I talk football on a weekly basis. And me, as a man, I had to do this. It was by week. It was perfect for me. It was perfect opportunity. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to be a distraction. And me commentating the game and really trying to make a true evaluation of a guy, I'm not really giving him an accurate evaluation because i am already got something against him already in my mind. I didn't want to do that. I want to give a man a, a fair shot. I don't want to have that. So I put myself out there to give him that invitation to let him know. I could see if I can respect him. If he didn't, if he didn't do that, then I could, I, that, that let me know something. But by he's doing that, it's all about life, man. You get to understand it. And he took that. So to me, I didn't have to bite my pride. I'm a man first. That's mm-hmm. why when a man disrespects you, feel you disrespectful, he's going to accept it if you're a man that we can meet face-to-face and we talk about it if you want to make a, if you want to see it different, if it's important to you enough. So that, law, that let me know he taking that meeting. I was important for him to get, give an understanding because everybody ain't due for your time, man. Everybody ain't due for me to even waste my, my breath. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the conversation took place. I'll leave you after two more points, Tyrone. We could talk all day, all night. On your nephew, Pittsburgh commit, right? Is that a hard commitment to Pittsburgh? 
What do you mean hard commitment? Well, I mean, the fact that you don't sign the paperwork for a number of months, if if some other school comes calling in October, November, December, will he listen or is he shutting down his recruitment? He will absolutely go to the University of Pittsburgh. Listen, listen to me, and I want you to listen to me clearly. Mm-hmm. I, told, I told my nephew, that's why I wanted him to take his visit and see before he makes the decision. See what's all out there. So when you recruit, when you've been getting recruited, boy, they're going to tell you everything. All I did is educate my, my nephew during his recruiting process. I'm not telling him where to go. He has to pick that because I don't want my nephew blaming me for selecting a school for him and it don't go the way he planned it. So he has to pick it. All I'm doing is orchestrating it. But I told him this. Once you make that commitment, once you do that, you better stick to it. And the school, they better stick to it. Because at the, at the end of the day, the same thing they keep getting these kids offers ain't nothing matter to February. To February when they sign their they, they name and they send it in. Right now, that's just a verbal commitment. Mm-hmm. Some, some colleges give these kids commitments, and then guess what? They'll, they'll tell them, hey, man, I got somebody else. It's gone. It's a dirty game. Yeah, recruiting is dirty. It's a dirty game. It's, it's, it's dirty. So, in the essence, I teach my nephew is this. Once you make that commitment, you stick to it. Mm-hmm. You better – and them coaches, and I, owe, I hold them accountable too. They better stick to it. As long as he continues to do what he's supposed to do and don't mess up outside of that football realm, compete in that classroom as well, you better make sure you honor that. Because he ain't changing his mind. He ain't changing his mind. He done been to Pittsburgh, too. That's why people don't understand. He done been to Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh seven years. He done been up there. He, see, he done seen that Pittsburgh plays at the same place. He done seen it. Reasons, mm-hmm. He done seen those guys. Mm-hmm. He saw those guys. Ike Taylor. He done been to practice watching Ike Taylor. He seen those guys. Pittsburgh is a football town, too. Football. Pittsburgh is a Pittsburgh is way – they love football more in Pittsburgh than they do here in the, in the state of Minnesota. Mm. I mean, I'll trust you on that. I mean, you would have the intimate knowledge being a Steeler, being a Viking, being a gopher. Okay, all right. Hey, 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 man, we can have that conversation. Listen, I'm from Florida, and you know Florida. We love football. We mm-hmm. love sports, period. That, mm-hmm. that football is our avenue to get these kids out of there, that situation. Get a free education because sometimes in some situations those, those kids – Parent, they single parent from number one, and they can't afford to send their kids to college. They they can't take out no loan to do that. But guess what? That sport could give them a free education. So it's painful to those kids that's down there, just like it is in PA. All across PA is talented kids that fan who they they grow up watching and loving it, and seeing it. They love their game. They're gonna do it more. So that's why I can make that statement by being here in Minnesota coming from Florida, played college here, and started my, pro- my my professional level here. I don't think too many people can say that. No, no, and I don't think a lot of people can say that they've accomplished all that you have accomplished. I'll leave you with this, Tyrone. Benny Sapp III, you train him. You are incredibly close to him, his dad. 
How much do you feel for him? Now, thankfully, it's not another ACL tear, but he's out for the season. It's another left knee injury. It's a meniscus issue, right? I mean, how much how much are you feeling for Benny Sapp the third right now? Man, I, I feel for him. My heart dropped when I heard he did it in warm-up. My heart dropped, man. But I'm going to tell you this. It's up to him. He's been battle-tested. He got to continue to grind. He got to continue to work and really understand, is this what he wants? No matter what me, I say or you say or what people say, it's up to him. It's up to him. But I know his father. I know his background. I know he's going to continue to grind to get himself back right. So when he do get an opportunity, man, he's going to be ready. Mm-hmm. He's going to be ready. I don't grind with him. I done seen it. I done seen how he did. He just got to be committed now. He, he got to be all in. Because now that's two times it done happened. You know, it started to put doubt in the kid's mind. It's football for you. But if it's football for you, you ain't going to let that happen. That's just an adverse along the way. A bump along the way to your success, man. To accomplish your goals and dreams. That's it. That's our mentality. And I know his dad is that way. I groomed his daddy. Mm-hmm. I mentored his daddy. I worked his daddy. Came from all types of distractions. Still had to be battle-tested and continue to fight for what he wanted in his life. And he'll come to this. And he'll come to this. I think he'll come back as... Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Tyrone, he'll come back as strong as ever. I mean, he's already come back from one serious knee injury, so he knows what it takes. He'll come back from this one. If he has to redshirt next year, so be it. I mean, maybe in a very weird way. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. It happened now, not a year from now, that, that he could redshirt in 2018 for the Gophers, and hopefully he can be on the field when, when Fleck really thinks he can win here in 2019 and 2020. Exactly. He's still young. Still a young kid. Mm-hmm. Still a young kid. And I'm, it, it could, it, I'm a blessing. We get blessings all different ways, man. We, and with success, uh, with God, we got di- different hands that dealt. It could be his hand, man. He got to continue to grind, continue to believe, continue to see it, and work for it. It's up to him. And trust me, when he do get there, the kid got unbelievable ability. He has that. He just got to stay healthy. That's that's his thing. He has it now. Mm-hmm. Kid six one six two. You look at a big talk man, please. Hard hitter, could run. All you got to do is stay healthy, man. He's gonna be a hell of a player. He got to continue to have his mind. That's what he. That's what it got to go determine his mind, his mindset, man. His mindset. And he continue to keep going through what he had to go through. He's battle tested. Look at the kid from Temple. Done had to walk on there. It was a 16th draft pick for Arizona Cardinals. Look at it. Oh yeah, I saw him on Monday night. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Hassan last name. Yeah, right. I mean, he's he's a heck of a story, right? I mean, he got kicked off the team. Then they go through a coaching change. So he's told, yeah, you can come walk on for the new staff. He's a walk on for three years. Earns a scholarship his his senior year. Next thing you know, he's a first round pick. Yeah. It's the first round pick. That's, that kid got to be battle tested. So I'm telling you, it's possible. You got to continue to do it, man. And all I, all I want to make sure that, man, hey, every young kid I can have encounter with, I'm giving them that same advice, man. I'm going to continue to let them continue to believe in themselves, man. Don't, don't, hey, man, that's, hey, that's just a bump along the way. Keep your head up. Keep pushing, boy.
God bless you to continue to feel another day. Your limb's still there. You know, hey, you, you, it's two things. You're hurt or injured. I mean, I have. Keep going. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind. Tyrone, knowing you as well as I know you, I have no doubt in my mind that you'll continue to motivate Mr. Sapp. I, I know you will, and I still think he has an incredibly bright future. I'm telling you, I think I think redshirting in 2018 is not a bad thing. He's got He's got now a couple years to really rehab that knee and get ready to contribute to the Gophers 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Trust me, he's a twenty. He's a twenty eighteen uh, recruit, right? He is, but he can redshirt. If he so, has to redshirt for a year, that's well, not well, the end of the world. I, no, see, that's I don't get into none of that. Right. I get into seizing your opportunity. That's what I get into. So when he get there, his mindset going to be he trying to show him then. Tomorrow ain't promised to you. So see how you keep saying two eight, 2019, 2021? Man, who, who say he could make it that way? Nobody knows. Yeah. But you got the, the what today is. You better make sure you maximizing that. You keep waiting for that and see what happens. You see how this world is coming. You see how it is. You never know, man. It is. It's as so nuts I, as I, I can remember. Yeah. There's there's exactly. way too much going on. Yeah. I mean, heck, we could talk it's, life, right, Tyrone? I mean, you were there. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw the video. You were interviewed on on all the local news outlets. I mean, you were there, Tyrone, when when the Wyzetta police officer was was hit by the car and and passed away. I mean. You've seen a lot. You've dealt with a lot in your life, Tyrone, going back to your Pompano Beach days. You know, a lot of us, you know, we don't come close to some of the life lessons that that you've been a part of. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Everything you just laid out, you're right. We are not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Here's what I do know. You will make sure that Benny wins each day. Every time you are around him, you will make sure that he wins that moment. You'll make sure that he's in the right frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 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 That's all I. That's all I could do for the kid, man. I, that's why I say when it when it happened, it, it hurt my heart, man. Because I seen that young man working his tail to get back. That was his first year ever starting on varsity. That's his. This is his first year. I know. Well, I mean, heck, if 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 he doesn't injure the knee, I mean, we're talking about an athlete that's you know Clemson caliber, Alabama, Florida caliber. I mean, you know, in many ways, the Gophers. You know, credit to P.J. Fleck and his staff for for taking the chance. You know, they see the potential there, you know, but he's got all this potential that he could have gone to just about any school in the country, you know. So, I mean, you know, things happen for a reason in many ways. The fact that he's here now in Eden Prairie, no longer in Florida, you know, maybe this is just another one of those, you know, life hurdles that he needs to overcome, that he will overcome, you know, but one of those things that happens in life. But you know what? He'll be stronger because of it. Exactly. Exactly, man. Exactly. So that's why they're here. His daddy, his daddy, it, trust me, man. If that kid was in Florida, you know Asante Samuel, right? No. Tell me a little bit. You don't know Asante Samuel? New England? Oh, cornerback? Yeah. Been, you don't know? You know who's on? Okay, yeah, his okay. Asante Samuel. Yeah, okay. Your, your phone was breaking up briefly, but sure, yes, yeah. Those two guys, those two guys grew up together, they're best friends. Okay. Benny Sapp and them was best friends. Those kids came up together, played star football the same group. Look up his son right now. That go to St. Thomas. Everybody in the country wants this kid. Okay. He's going to Florida State. Yeah. And he's okay. shorter than Benny Sapp. Benny Sapp was starting as a freshman, but he got hurt in camp. Now, this kid would have never got hurt. Man, please. Everybody in the country would have wanted this kid. He's 6'1", 6'2", big frame, could run, any athletic. Who won't want a kid like that? Everybody would want a kid like that. With that pedigree, 
you know, with, with that lineage, with his dad. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody would want him. Yeah. Yeah, so he'll, so, hey, he'll no, persevere. We got to say, say, keep, keep his mind right. We don't offer them. We don't offer them. So I hope they continue to, to, to building them up, too, not moving to the next guy. No, I, I no, no. That, I, I hope no, not. I'm, I'm, also, I'm also 99. Yeah, no, I'm 99% so. positive, Tyrone. Benny Sapp will so. sign with the Gophers in February. The Gophers are not pulling that commitment just because he hurt his knee again. Trust me. There's there's no way the I, Gophers I are doing so. that. No. I hope so. No well, way. I got confirmation. His daddy said it. Didn't talk to him, and they were cool. So cool. Guess keep it. Let's keep, that's all he said. Keep it. Let's go. Because he ain't changing his mind. He ain't changing his mind. They committed. Once they committed, that's it. We ain't changing the mind. They don't change the mind. Only thing they change their mind is the coach is not there for you. Tyrone, I always appreciate it. We'll talk soon, okay? All right, bro. Okay, take it easy. Whether you agree or disagree with Tyrone, he speaks with passion. He speaks from the heart. He absolutely bleeds maroon and gold. He may not agree with everything that takes place, but trust me, he comes from a point of caring a lot about all those student athletes, especially the football players. But just knowing Tyrone as well as I do, trust me, he is incredibly passionate about the university. It comes across in his words. We could have talked on a number of different topics. I should have asked him about what took place on Highway 12 when he was the first or about the first person at the scene when tragically the YZ police officer was killed. But I wanted to make sure that this podcast didn't go 75 plus minutes. I told Mike Gensel we would have him on. We will have Mike Gensel on. The Gophers hockey team, the men's hockey team, opens up at least exhibition play Sunday. They have a Sunday game at Mariucci Arena or 3M Arena at Mariucci. Can't embrace the 3M name quite yet. So anyway, I wanted to catch up with Mike on how the first couple weeks of training camp have gone, or at least when the coaches started to work with the players. The players were on the ice skating on their own for a while, and the coaches connected with the players on September 11th. So they've been coaching up the players here for a couple weeks, so figured I wanted to get Mike on before their first actual game, even if it doesn't count in the standing. So let's catch up with Mike, but we always appreciate Tyrone's contributions. All right, Mike, always appreciate your time you guys are now what two almost two and a half weeks into into practice or at least you know you guys the coaches hands-on with the players on the ice you have that exhibition game on sunday so far through these whatever it is two weeks of practice two and a half weeks of practice what what stands out so far well we get out there for you know 40 minutes a day we get we're allowed two hours a week so we're limited but uh it seems to go real fast when you're out there usually out there three times a week but i think what, what really stands out is the first couple of days, obviously, everybody's going around really quick and frantic, and uh, everybody's trying to impress and show what they've uh, worked on this summer, how much stronger and faster they've got. So, you know, I think we're all trying to maybe concentrate on a guy or two or our position or two, and you're really not looking at the overall group because everything's happening so fast. But, uh, you know, you see bits and pieces. Uh, you know, obviously, there's, the guys are energetic and tenacious and uh, really want to do well, and I, and I like our group. I think they're you know, fairly well connected already for a young team. And uh, they seem to uh, have some ability up front. I think we'll be able to score some goals. And, you know, there'll be some competition with some newness on defense this year. And, and certainly with their goaltending with Eric Schoenhorn being back. And then, uh, you know, the other guy's been able to challenge him. And we have a, a transfer coming in that's eligible on Christmas. I think you'll have some depth and some competition at that spot too this year. So should be a good team. And hopefully uh, we can grow and got a tough schedule, as everybody knows. But uh, we'll battle through it. So when do you get to spend more time with the players on ice? I can't even keep track of the schedule anymore. So you have this exhibition game, but technically right now, 
you're only allowed a certain amount of time, but then it ramps up after the exhibition game, or how does it work? Well, the first official day is Saturday. That's uh, college hockey's opening day, and okay. uh, you'll have some teams that'll play Saturday night. So they'll basically have a game day skate in the morning and play that night. You know, we're going to have two one-hour sessions on Saturday, and then a probably a forty-five minute session on Sunday morning, and then we'll play an exhibition game. And you know, that's uh, for us. Uh, you know, that's something we'd like to do. I mean, obviously, I think we'd all like to maybe have a full week of practice before we get yeah, into that. But that's uh, what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, some teams, uh, you know, they don't even have an exhibition. Their first game is a legitimate game. I know Lasher Duluth played Michigan Tech. And, you know, if you look at some of the schedules, there's a few teams that will go right at each other and, and start having games that count in their pairwise ranking right from day one with virtually no practice other than these, you know, couple, three, you know, sessions you have. And it actually ends up to being about six hours you get with your guys through the three weeks in September. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we looked at it and said we'll probably be on the ice. I think it was uh, – seven, eight times before we get on an official practice on Saturday. So it gives us a little bit of a foundation where we can build our group and uh, build some of our habits and our detail and, you know, get some things in place. But certainly it's not where you can really break it down once you start with, you know, we can't really even do video right now because that counts against our two hours. So we're trying to basically let the captains run a fair share of the early part and then we get out there and we zoom through basically drills that we've done in the past where the older guys are familiar with and, try to just build a foundation from there. I mean, don't you have a pretty big game here in two weeks? Do you play Duluth in like two weeks? Yeah, a week from Friday, you know, we're in a tournament up in Duluth. Uh, Duluth ourselves, uh, Union, and uh, who won the national championship, obviously, against us four years, three years ago. And then we have Michigan Tech in there. So, you know, it's the icebreaker, and you get right into it. And we're playing Duluth on opening night at 7 o'clock up there. So, yeah, it'll be very, very competitive. And then you go right into, you know, our conference next week with Penn State coming in here. So we're into the uh, the fire pretty quickly. I think it's North Dakota after that. So, uh, you know, it's going to be trial by error, learning on the job here. And, you know what, it's a young group, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, keep our head above water for a a chance to grow this group and uh, get some confidence. But, uh, you know, we're trying to hopefully feel good about ourselves right now without beating them down and giving them too much to think about in these hard practices that we're running. But uh, it is so short and sweet that uh, I think it's good for everybody. And it's a good group. I mean, it's a a group that's receptive to to your message, to Don's message. Yeah, I think so far it's been good, Doogie. I mean, I think – you know what, uh, we, we, we obviously don't have older guys. I mean, we lost really good players in our senior class. I mean, terrific leaders in, in Jake Bischoff and Justin Kloos and Connor Riley and those guys were really good captains, and they're all graduated. We lost Vinny Letary in that class, who's obviously doing real well right now in pro hockey. But, uh, you know, we have some young group. Mike Matula is a transfer. He's been here with us for a couple of years, and he's going to be one of our senior captains. Leon Bristed is a senior as well. And you got a guy like Ryan Lindgren and Tyler Sheehy. Tyler's a junior, and Ryan Lindgren's a sophomore. So you have a young leadership group, but I think they're all – just uh, you know, feeling like they want to be able to to help this group. They're all hard workers, which is really nice. I mean, nobody else works those guys in practice on an everyday basis. Uh, I don't think they're real vocal guys, but I think they're just lead by example guys. And I think the other guys have been following the example pretty well at this point. You brought up Tyler Sheehy. Does he have another level to his game? I mean, he was so brilliant last year. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, obviously he was the first team All-American and he took a huge jump in his game from year one to year two. But you always think a guy's got another gear, another level to get to. And I think he does. He had some back surgery this summer that set him back in his training a little bit. But uh, he's good to go now. And I think, you know, anytime you come back for your junior year, I think you want to have a big year. And I think he's got to back it up and maybe even take it to another level if he wants to get past this level and play it, you know, for money down the road. 
You touched briefly on Shearhorn, the goalie situation, that you have a goalie coming in that'll be eligible around Christmas time. Expound on that. I mean, is there a legitimate competition for Shearhorn? Yeah, I think there will be this year. I think uh, certainly, uh, you know, Nick Lear and, and Brock Hout's coming back. I mean, no, nobody ever feels like, hey, I'm just here to hit, you know, get shot at every day in practice. I want to play. And those guys are no different than anybody else. But Matt Robson was really good last year up in Penticton in the BCHL and basically almost single-handedly led his team to the finals of the, you know, Canadian Tier 2 hockey level there. So he, you know, they didn't have a great team, but uh, he seemed to win a lot of overtime games and a lot of two-to-one games. And I think most people would say it was because of their goaltending that was the only reason Penticton got to the level they did last year. So I think the the word on the street is he's a pretty good goalie and uh, has a pretty good reputation and he's a bigger kid. And I think he, uh, he he's eligible to play in the uh, – the game on Sunday, but then he has to sit until December 8th uh, when he fulfills his transfer and his penalty he had to uh, take for, you know, transferring a lot of Clarkson, I think it was. So he's got to, he, he's going to have a chance to grow and learn and, uh, you know, with a new goalie coach there, kind of, you know, get his fundamentals in order and watch, you know, Division One hockey at this level for a little bit and hopefully hit the ground running. Lingren, was it a shoulder injury, Mike? Is he, is he good to go? Well, he broke his leg last year, crashing leg. in the okay. end boards on an ice, icing call That's in right. the uh, last home game against Michigan State. So he's good now. You know, he had a long, hard process to get back, but I think his health is good and his spirits are good. And I think he's had a, you know, some practices with the U.S. Junior team this summer to get his edge back. And I think he's uh, he looks like he's a little more uh, stronger and a little more sturdier for us this year. And there's never a question of how competitive he is i mean he's as, as tough and determined as any defense that we've had and uh, he continues to work on his skill level and get himself to where he wants to be down the road novak jr i mean i get it modern medicine is unbelievable but the fact he tore his acl mid-january was it even maybe later january the fact he's back now is it's pretty amazing yeah it's a good story i mean anytime you go through these processes now it used to be an automatic one year and now you can get back earlier. He's 100% now. I think he's probably ornery that he's got to have a knee brace on, and that's probably as much of a discomfort as anything. But uh, when you watch him on the rink, you can see the, set, the hockey sense and you can see the hand skills. And, you know, he didn't lose any of that, that's for sure. So I'm sure it's as much between his ears right now with his confidence and a little bit of his getting his explosiveness back. But, uh, you know, he looks like he's uh, – today he was real good in, uh, in our session, and I think it was probably his best day. So I think he's just going to get a little bit better every day. And I think once you believe that I'm over the hurdle mentally, that uh, he'll even take another step. Casey Middlestead, I mean, being hands-on now with him on the ice, everything you thought that he'd be? Yeah, he. you know, when you watch him in high school, you can see what he is. I mean, and obviously he looks the same here, and I think – the big thing is, is when you come into a new environment to feel comfortable. And basically, I think most of our guys have made him feel comfortable because I think he oozes confidence and skill and ability. And I think that that uh, it's easy for good players to see right away that uh, hey, this guy's a, a helper and a contributor to our group. And I think that's something that uh, gets him instant credibility with our group right away. Who is he playing with line-wise? I mean, I get it. Lines will tinker. But how about right now? Do you guys have that figured out for at least the exhibition game? Well, we, we we really haven't settled on it. Don has moved the guys around a lot. I mean, part of our philosophy is, uh, and then the early part is to give some guys a look. Uh, don't want to pigeonhole some guys. I mean, some of the younger uh, guys that were younger players a year ago have come back and they're con- more confident and they're they're better because of our strength program in the off season. And you certainly want to encourage their development and their growth. But uh, 
you know, also, you also try to start pairing up guys here a little bit by twosomes and figuring out who could be, you know, a pretty good mix together. And he's played with Rem Pitlick a lot in the preseason stuff that we've done. And, you know, today he played with Tyler Sheehy in a different left wing. So, I mean, we're trying to find, I think, with all of our lines, at least two guys that really fit well together and then look for a complimentary player with those two guys that fit together. You know, whether it's somebody who can go get pucks or somebody that's physical or, you know, somebody's a really good defensive player because I think there's no question that if you look at a Pitlick and a Middlestead playing together, they're going to be offensively dynamic. And so somebody's going to have to get pucks to them and somebody's going to have to maybe make sure they're aware defensively and do the little detail things that are important too. So, you know, and you got to have some sometimes experience with those guys. They're a freshman and a sophomore, and, you know, you don't want to have them uh, having to, on the road play against the team's top players all the time because teams are, you know, searching for matchups during the course of the game. How healthy is the competition in the Big Ten this year? Do you put much stock into into you guys being the the preseason pick to win the conference again? Well, I think if if you're, I think this year there's there's more respect for the Big Ten than there has been at any other time in the previous four years, and I think that respect stems from the fact that you know for a couple of years there we only had one team and that was ourselves that were ever making the 16 team field, and now last year, including Notre Dame coming into our league, we had a fourth of the team, so. You know, I think you certainly see in Ohio State on the upswing. I mean, Penn State made the tournament last year. You know, Michigan had a bump in the road because they lost so many players to the NHL like we normally do that they took a step backwards last year and just missed the – I mean, didn't make the NCAA tournament after being a legitimate threat the year before to win the whole thing. But, uh, you know, our league is on the upswing. I mean, obviously the red team is coming up and uh, – you know, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, Michigan State with a change there. They're going to have their, their growing pains, but they're going to be good. And Notre Dame coming in, I mean, I think they were picked to finish second, and they knocked us out last year at the end, and they got the whole decor coming back. So they're a good team, and I think our league right now is, uh, you know, probably went from uh, low, low respect to maybe now as much respect as anybody or right on par maybe with the NCHC. So it's going to be a very, very competitive uh 24 games in our conference this year for certain, probably as much much competition we've ever faced in our league. I was over in the neighborhood the other day. I see the 3M signage going up in front. I still I can't necessarily embrace it, but, hey, more money for the university or for, for student-athletes, for you guys, is a good thing. But what else What else is needed there at Mariucci? What's, where are the plans at? You know, are you guys, you know, still pushing for some things? Or are the plans in place and just waiting for, for the renovations to begin? Just kind of lay out where things are at. Well, we had a beautiful renovation a year ago when we finally, uh, you know, converted our lower level into a complete team space, moved the visitors out of the, their locker room on the other side of the double doors down there and took over the whole area and now have a state-of-the-art locker room, a, you know, really nice training room, a video room for our guys, a coach's suite, uh, a real nice player's lounge. I mean, I, I we're on par with any any Division One or NHL program as far as what we have now uh, nice. downstairs. So that, that was about a $4 million, uh, you know, fundraising campaign for us and we were able to get that accomplished and sold some locker stalls and things like that i mean we just really have a really nice locker room and great place for the guys to hang out where we're hoping uh that we're going to move into a new weight room here later this winter uh, we're supposed to uh, move some walls and start that project in november this year okay. we've gotten a gift and uh that's about a three million dollar project and we just we have to continue to raise a few more funds for some of the equipment that'll be in the weight room to pay offset the million dollar cost for just the equipment there and 
and that's kind of stage two. And then stage three is uh, obviously the long range here, and hopefully it'll be in the next couple of years where eventually they'll move the board in at Mary Eugene. You'll have to drop the floor and add another 200 rows or 200 seats, uh, a row next to the boards when they move it in. And um, and then they're going to add an alumni suite that's part of that project where the alumni have a place to hang out during the course of a game and come back and share memories and watch go for hockey and be a part of our program. And they're going to attach that suite next to the press box. So, I mean, it's been a three-part phase. One's done and two's supposed to start in November and hopefully, uh, you know, through fundraising and, you know, that part of it for our own hockey program. I mean, we were lucky because we had so many alums give to our lower level, probably as much as anything, where 65 to 75% of the money was coming from our, our actual alums and gave to our locker room project. So we're still banging away here and got to raise a few more funds. Uh, you know, we're, we're well over halfway through the total cost of the three phases and uh, a little bit to go here, but hopefully that can happen in the near future when people see uh, what's going on with these projects and these renovations. And Mark Coyle is helpful. He's a hockey guy. Yeah, you know, Mark was here when we won the national championships in 0203. He gets it with hockey, and, you know, I think we all understand that hockey's significant at the university. It's a significant sport in our state, and, you know, we're a major revenue producer here at the university, and, uh, you know, we do well. I mean, and it's uh, a very identified program, and you know, mm-hmm. you're on TV and get the exposure that we do, and you have the base of uh, recruiting and the foundation in this area to, to do well. I mean, you're expected to do well, and I think people recognize that, it's it's very important that football, basketball, and hockey do well here at Minnesota and uh, and help the other programs have the successes they do in our conference and in our national scene. So uh, I think he gets that part of it, and uh, we have to keep it reinvesting in our program to make sure we're always at the top of the uh, of the rung of Division One hockey. Two final points, and I'll let you fly. I mean, clearly you're on the road a ton recruiting. What's what's the youngest age group that you that you watch for recruiting purposes? Well, it's obviously changed. I mean, I think, you know, people are, you know, obviously right now uh, in up in arms or concerned or, you know, surprised that, you know, recruiting has changed like it has over the course of years. And it really has changed significantly in the last 10 years. And it's gotten younger and it's gotten earlier. And, um, you know, it's for us, I, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we adjusted and started watching more of the Bantams and, you know, getting into that age. And, you know, I think that's probably early enough, you know, when it gets mm-hmm. 14, 15 and, you know, you certainly don't want to make mistakes in recruiting, but you don't want to miss out on opportunities to recruit high-end players, particularly from our state, that we would like to build our team around with Minnesota kids. So, you know, you have to be on top of it, but I think we're going to reform ourselves here at some point where we're going to put in some legislation that says, hey, there might be dates and times where you can start making contact and you can start having people on campus on unofficial visits. And I think that'll be pushed back to a more realistic time. I mean, I think... We're all concerned, you know, especially me as a parent of having three boys that played Division One and being a college coach for 20-some years. I mean, you never want to renege on your, your, your commitments and you never want to push kids out. And you want to make sure when you look at people in the eye and shake hands that, you know, you're, you're going to be able to promise that kid that opportunity when they decide they're going to come to be a gopher that, you know, they're going to meet their responsibility to continue to get better and we're going to make, meet our responsibility to provide him that opportunity to, to play for the Golden Gophers. And so you just want to make sure, but I, you see what's going on in college, you know, hockey right now, and, you know, people have 30, 35 people on a list that they're committed to, and there's just no way that all these kids are ever going to play for that school, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's good for any of us. But, uh, you know, we're not to wear football and basketball. It's crazy because those guys, you know, until you sign on the dotted line, you're open game, but we've always had a gentleman's agreement, and that gentleman's agreement maybe needs to be looked at right now and figure out what's 
the best reform for us to to make sure that we legislate ourselves accordingly. So we give ourselves a chance to have kids to recruit. We don't lose them to Canada and other opportunities where they go to the major junior route, but we still put ourselves in a position where I think families can come in and you can make real realistic promises and expectations that this kid will develop and be a golfer or be a you know a division one player at some point in the near future. I mean I suppose Mike, until the legislation is put into place, it's it's a dog eat dog world, right? Like if you're not recruiting these kids, if you're not chasing these thirteen, fourteen year olds, somebody else is. I mean you name the program, whether it's Duluth, St. Cloud, North Dakota, somebody's after those kids, so you guys better be after them too. Well, there's no question. I mean, you look at our state now in general. I mean, I, I tell people all the time when I was getting recruited, there was only two Division One programs in the state, Minnesota and the UMD. And now there's five of us. And then you got, you know, the green team banging on one border and Wisconsin banging on the other border. And you got Notre Dame coming in here now being in the Big Ten. And, you know, they can swing a big stick. They're a known, you know, brand name out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, these people recruit. And there's other people that come in here too. And, you know, Michigan Tech just committed an re- early kid a couple of years ago or a couple couple weeks ago a young kid i mean it's just it's the way it is because this market this state has done a good job of producing and maintain a certain depth in our in our level of of, of division one prospects that you know we got to be on our toes and i i think we all you know realize that we would like to have as many minnesota kids on our team as possible i think that that goes back to the to the mariucci days and the doug luke days and you know the realistic expectation is we'll probably have to look at you know a couple kids here and there but and we should but uh you know, we want to do it with as many Minnesota kids as we can. So we do have to protect ourselves. And when somebody else pushes the envelope and brings in these kids three or four times for unofficial visits, and they're going to make decisions, uh, we don't get, you know, player A and player B and end up having to, you know, maybe take some other kids down the road that aren't quite of that ability, then, you know, we're going to be in trouble as far as our competitiveness too. And, but other people have different philosophies. They think, you want to just go ahead and wait and other people will emerge. And, you know, that's, that's, possible but you know it's certainly no guarantee and you know i don't know if you want to operate that way too you just hope you make good decisions and you can follow through with those decisions and these kids are what you thought they were three or four years down the road when they finally hit your lineup i'll leave you with this the the moniker you're best known as jake's dad i mean how how has life changed for the gensel family for jake the last few months and you know is jake off that incredible high of of winning the cup i mean last time i checked it's it's the preseason i mean next thing you know the penguins will will open their season it seems like it was it was just yesterday they were hoisting the cup yeah it's crazy i mean those jake got home and we had that party on july 13th i was thinking about it the other day it's been over two months already since that's happened it doesn't seem like that was that long ago and that it's flown by that fast he basically had 10 weeks of training this summer before he had to get back into it. I mean, it's crazy. Some of the teams were training on, you know, May 1st, and they mm-hmm. didn't start until after 4th of July. And, you know, they, they've had their exhibition season, and I've watched that. I mean, they've played five. I think they have two more games. They've played five, and Jake's played two. Crosby and Malkin and Kessel have played one, you know. So, I mean, they're obviously withholding these guys and playing younger guys because of the wear and tear of, you know, not in Jake's case because he's only played 25, but those other guys have played 48 playoff games in the last two years at that intensity. So there's some wear and tear on the bodies and with the World Cup and other things that go on in the Olympics. And, you know, a lot of these guys have some mileage and, you know, they're uh, they're protecting them. But it starts in about, I think it's eight days and it's on again. And, you know, it's like playing here. I mean, they're the, uh, they're the hunted right now and everybody's going at them with the A game. And, if, you, if they're not on top of it, you know, it's going to be tough. But they lost a couple of really good pieces, and, you know, other guys will have to step forward. But, uh, you know, they're, they're ready for it. I'm sure they have, the, you know, the main cogs in place. And, 
Um, and I'm sure now he's a little more confident in where he's at in the lineup and where he's at with the whole program that, you know, hopefully has a good year. But, uh, you know, it's all up to him right now. He's trained hard and he's done what he's done. And I think he's ready for it. And the preseason's gone well. I think he's uh, got six points in a couple of games. So he's, you know, he's got some things going for him, but uh, it's a day-to-day business there. you got to keep working because it's a hard league. He'll never see the minors again, though, right? I mean, I suppose in his mind he has to say, okay, I need to fight to to stay up. But realistically, Mike, he's not going back to the minors ever, right? I hope not, but you never know, you know. I mean, hey, it's, uh, you know, everybody talks about those things, you know, the sophomore slump and, uh, you know, whatever, and people adjust to you and however you want to look at it. But uh, it'll be tougher for him, a greater challenge. You know, you start in day one with some of the players he's played with in camp, and you're going to play against the other team's top players. So, I mean, it's a challenge, but uh, – you know, the gifts that Jake has and the competitiveness in the hockey sense have seemed to help him uh, rise up when challenged, and I think he's ready for this next challenge. I know he's thicker and stronger through his, you know, 10 weeks this summer, so I think he's a little more prepared than he was a year ago when things went well. So he's learning, and that's part of his growth, and I think, you know, hopefully he continues to adjust and adapt and figure out things and, you know, accept new responsibilities, and I think he will, And uh, but he's, he's motivated for sure. Mike, always appreciate your time. I'll see you at the rink in the very near future. All right, Doogie T. Off the good work. Talk to you soon. Gophers Men's Hockey Associate Coach Mike Gensel. Always appreciate Mike's contributions. Mike is rock solid. We'll have to make Mike a semi-regular as things start to heat up. Yes, I mean, the weekend of October 6th, Gophers Bulldogs. Gophers in Duluth. So, yeah, I mean, next thing you know, the Gophers are playing meaningful games, games that will count big time when it comes to the NCAA standings, where they stand, what their seed can be. Hey, the Frozen Four, I should have asked him about this. The Frozen Four in St. Paul, that has to be a big-time motivating factor for Mike Gensel's team. All right, quickly, some love for Vine Park Brewing, vinepark.com. $7 gets you Hagee's Pizza, gets you a flight or a pint, plus it gets you a tour of Vine Park Brewing right there on West 7th Street in St. Paul between 35E and downtown St. Paul, closer to 35E. Or if you want, just swing in, grab a growler. I mean, heck, it's another great football weekend, right? You'll be at home watching football or watching some other sports, the WNBA Finals, the Twins. I mean, so much going on right now. Heck, the Wolves have their first exhibition game this weekend on TV against the Lakers. The Wild get going here in a matter of days. That opener October 5th against Detroit in Detroit's new arena. So, so much going on. About the busiest sports time of the year. So, if you're going to be at home on the couch watching some of these sporting events, swing into Vine Park for some of their great beer. All sorts of different flavors. A flavor you will like. They've been around for 22 years. They know what they're doing when it comes to making a really good tasting beer. For more information, the website again is vinepark.com. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 99. The plan is to be back later this week with a bunch of news and notes. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.